You all have heard me geek out about reinforcement systems on the podcast before. A reinforcement system is simply the interlocking chain of behaviors that occur during reinforcement delivery. And it's interesting because even if you have a valuable reinforcer, you may sometimes have slow learning or unwanted behaviors if you didn't design your reinforcement system appropriately. And that's why I want to tell you about the summit being hosted by Behavior Explorer about reinforcement systems. It's happening this spring 2023. The speakers are Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz, Mary Hunter, and Crystal Fernandez. At the summit, you're going to gather so many practical ideas of how to accelerate your dog's learning using these reinforcement systems. Go to BehaviorExplorer.com for more information. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Streming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. In the current climate in the field of dog training and behavior, there's a lot of discussion of omission. Trainers valiantly cry out about what it is they omit in dog training, and what I care about is what they actually do, not what they leave out. So from time to time on the podcast, I'm going to feature other trainers who work in the field, and we will discuss a case they consider resolved. I will ask them questions about their process, and I hope to showcase what dog training looks like through an applied lens rather than a theoretical one. Everybody, I have a treat for you today because I have return guests, Giovanni Gio Alcade and Taylor Barconi, the smart bitches of Smart Bitch Modern Dog Training from New Orleans, Louisiana, and globally online. They're here with me to talk about a case because I'm so interested in showcasing the way that trainers actually work, especially right now in the climate of infighting amongst dog trainers, arguments online, and especially the emphasis on omission. I want to emphasize instead what dog trainers actually do. So buckle up for this wild ride. It starts now. Okay, everybody, we've got Gio and Taylor. Will you both share your names and pronouns with us? We'll start with Gio. Hi, I'm Gio and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, my name is Taylor Barconi, and my pronouns are also she, her. And y'all are the smart bitches of Smart Bitch Modern Dog Training, and I'm so excited to have you here to share some of your cases with us. When I first emailed you, I was like, let's talk through a case, and y'all were like, let's talk through three. And I was like, oh, and I'm like, okay, let's let's talk through three. So I'm giving you the floor. Dive in. I will jump in when I have a question, and I'm so excited to hear more about your work. Right. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's jump into this. Um, well, thanks for letting us hear ourselves talk. It's our favorite thing in the world. Today, we're <laughs> going to be sharing uh, with y'all a few um, uh, aggression-centric cases that we worked with. Um, we wanted to kind of highlight some of the some of the circumstances that happened during these during these cases, and uh, maybe some of the 
maybe the choices that we made wouldn't wouldn't have been some that others would have made, but we believe they were the best ones at the time. Um, and I think there's are really good takeaways there because, you know, there's a lot of angles to training, but I also think there's a lot of nuance to training as well. So uh, without further ado, let's start talking about our first case. Uh, this one is Nymphadora. Uh, and Nymphadora, this actual, this client was actually, um, Nymphadora is a dog, by the way. <laughs> I hope that needs to be made clear. The dog is Nymphadora. But the parent uh, was actually a longtime faithful client of ours. We, we like to deem our crossover clients from before we were smart bitch. I would call them OG smart bitches. So this was one of our OG smart bitches. We've been working with them for about a year or two before we transitioned. Um, and so they trusted us, which was a really beautiful thing. But this particular dog that they were coming to us with had some really weird, I guess I, the dog had some weird ass genetic history. Uh, her, the entire litter actually had been put down as puppies for aggression very early on, like, like dangerous. And so this parent was definitely taking on um, a project um, that they didn't originally sign up for. This dog uh, originally was reported to be randomly and outwardly aggressive towards uh, the family members and had been consistently biting um, anywhere between the level one and four. So for any of those who are familiar with the bite chart, uh, level one being not so scary, level four being ouch um, and unacceptable. So um, and then it seemed as if a lot of this was surrounding resource guarding, or at least the, the whole like action of the aggression seemed to be more resource guarding centric. And it would be like really, really random shit, like entryways. Okay. Like doorways, just no reason at all. We're just going to guard this door. Uh, it was Kleenex, uh, which we know can be a hot commodity for some dogs, but, uh, we're talking the way the resource guarding would go down. It was rather dangerous and very dramatic. The dog would just like go in and it, it was, you know, it was a hot mess and we're like, okay. That can't be allowed. And then uh, the other last one, uh, which was consistent. There were a lot of triggers, but these three were the most consistent. Would be places of comfort or couches. So it'd be any anytime the animal appeared to be in a comforting place and if they were approached, which isn't exactly resource guarding. Again, this is kind of a mixed uh, thing. Go ahead. So to clarify, we have we have thresholds, Kleenex, mm -hmm. places to sleep or be comfortable. Yep. Yes. And what kind of dog are we talking about? Our memento recte was pit bull. And then maybe the us was mixed, but maybe pit, pit and then lab mix. Uh, from what I can remember from what the client said. So that was her mix. Right. So yep. mixed breed dog that mm -hmm. the entire litter did not do well. So the rest mm -hmm. of them, were the rest of them euthanized as puppies? Yeah. For aggression? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So like by the shelter or the whoever had yeah. them. And this wow. was very much the... We, we do know that the rescue that this dog came from, um, they do try their hardest, very honest rescue. And they definitely try their hardest by the dogs that they home, but they're very honest about everything. So when that report was given to us that all the puppies went down, except for this one, we were like, okay, this is a pretty alarming. And so one more level four bites, and this is the Dunbar bite scale. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we've got puncture wounds happening and at least a half a tooth long. So that's a pretty serious... Yeah, pretty serious mm -hmm. is not even putting it well enough. Like yes. a lot of trainers don't even accept anything above a level three in their practice. Yeah. So serious bites on family members regarding things you kind of can't avoid. We got thresholds, sleeping places, and Kleenex you could be careful about for sure. But what a silly thing to have to be careful about. So, okay, go, yeah. go right. ahead. Precisely. So basically from that point, and this is just background information. This is pre-smart bitch. This was actually, um, we had been working with their other dog. 
So this, they essentially what happened, it was, I guess it was like the warm up round. <laughs> we warm up round with their one dog and then like, all right, these bitches are good enough. Let's try the hard dog. Now the hard dog, unfortunately, the parents were desperate at a time. They did reach out to a trainer that does utilize uh, shock methods, shock collars, all that. That did nothing but suppress it for a while. They honestly didn't really go through any training techniques at all from our understanding of it. Really was just give them the controller good luck. I know that's the short version, but that is essentially what happened. And then after the fact, as far as our understanding was, the aggression came back, but it appeared to have come back even worse. Um, Taylor, go ahead. I was just going to say that our client, our member was told to use the shot collar in particular whenever the dog would growl or have the resource for a guarding moment. However, these moments were not easy to predict. Cannot always predict when the dog is going to resource guard, especially this dog. So in terms of Kleenex, it, it wasn't really working out. So that's why our client ended up reaching out for us for the hard dog. Yeah. Uh, and then the last kicker to this, a little more background context before Smart Bitch came in and saved the day, was this dog also became epileptic um, and was also thunderstorm phobic. And uh, if anyone needs to know, we are in New Orleans and thunderstorms happen at least twice a week. So, And then another thing to note is that the likelihood of some of these aggressive events or, or how severe they would be sometimes seem to coincide with these events as well. So the dog had experience or, and the epilepsy was random. And sometimes the parent didn't exactly know if the dog had a seizure or not. It was just kind of like, Maybe or maybe not, they're acting funny. So as you can tell, this particular case was, you know, very, very complex. Essentially, us going in and, and how we chose to work on this one, uh, what basically happened was we did roll in with this, uh, with a typical training plan for aggression, as most would go in, in terms of starting with management. We were uh, very serious about the muzzle training. That one was definitely non-negotiable. Uh, we actually went custom muzzle route for that one, just because these bites were not anything to play around with. Obvious counter conditioning exercises, a lot of resource guarding centric exercises. Um, we did work in some cooperative care as well, just because there were some instances where the dog needed to be okay with being handled. And uh, we also felt like those types of exercises is really good for um, boosting the parent's confidence back because at this point, the parent was afraid of their dog. So when you say counter conditioning, which I think we're all kind of familiar with that, with what that means, but talk to me about counter conditioning of a threshold. I think honestly, counter conditioning, we left more of that for the resource guard, I can't remember, but for the thresholds, particularly the threshold this dog was having an issue with was the front door. The other threshold that she had an issue with, we're going to talk about that one in a second because it was a very weird issue. But the main problem that we had was people come into the house and when people came into the house, the dog would charge the door and she may have bitten or she may have may, may bite the person coming in. That did happen one time. So what we did for that one, honestly, was management, period. Like, don't let her get to the front door, separate her from the front door so you don't have to experience that. And that actually solved that issue for us. But a condition with the resource guarding, we did the typical way that most trainers do it. We let the dog have something and then we approached her, threw, some, threw something to her to get her used to that over time. And then eventually this dog actually stopped resource guarding things that she was resource guarding. So I'm going to, we're going to take credit for that. But at the same time, it was also kind of weird how fast she kind of stopped caring about those things. So it worked, but we were still kind of side outing her for the, after that in terms of other resources. And this was not something that we actively worked on all the time. A lot of it was very passive. So for example, let's say we had a training session working on muzzle training, which I'm very impressed that we were able to do muzzle training. I actually was very up close personal with this dog. I would give her something to do and she would be licking out the muzzle by herself. I may toss something to her every now and then. I actually also worked on cues for her, getting her to leave things alone when I asked her to, and she did it really well. So it was more of competition for the resource guarding 
and more of management for the threshold. I hope that makes sense. Um, and what's also really important to note is that uh, the training plan is about to shift major because we did have something that did happen amidst everything. One thing to note about this though is this case was very early on for Smart Bitch, extremely early on. Like I mentioned, this was an OG Smart Bitch. So, and Taylor and I, we're still very green in the training game. You're pretty knowledgeable, but we definitely did the fast track speed route, had to had to figure it out quickly out of necessity. So this is actually pre ton of our um, education surrounding medication and stuff like that. Uh, so we didn't really have that knowledge yet because we were so green and we were still technically building our business as we we're trying to work on this. So, and the other thing to note about this particular dog is that meds was particularly tricky because of the epilepsy, but the one thing that our client decided worked best for them at the time uh, was some type of CBD um, and trazodone for th thunderstorms. So um, it wasn't really a consistent route in that area, but it was the best that we had. I and mean, obviously, we were, again, we went pretty pretty heavy on the management. Go ahead, Taylor. Now, for a time, it wasn't all the time, but this dog was also on fluoxetine as well. So fluoxetine and then trazodone for situational and... I think that was later on. Yeah, it was later on. Yeah, it, it was very the weird because team. they stopped too. Mm -hmm. Progress was, was pretty steady. And just to note, we were also simultaneously working with her brother as well. So there was a, a lot of us kind of splitting, not, not splitting attention, but there wasn't just like one dog was getting all of the focus there. But there was an incident that did lead to a uh, coming to Jesus meeting, essentially. Basically, there had been, this is what we call it. Coming yes, to Jesus, that's what we call it. Here we go. We're having a meeting. Uh, we are very, as a company, we are very, very straightforward with all the bad things that can happen if you don't listen or if you don't, if you, you know, but the thing about management is that it's eventually going to fall. Uh, it does always fall out and it's really up to how much practice has been done. And, and honestly, a little bit of luck because there's no, you know, it's hopefully the dog does what they're supposed to do, but sometimes things don't work out. And unfortunately um, there was an evening where things did not work out, um, but the incident did uh, end up essentially scaring the shit out of our client. And so we had a meeting with them that basically we gave them their options. We painted their options based off of what they believed they could do and what they were willing to do, which is a really important thing to note because um, at the end of the day, uh, it is always about what the clients believe that they are capable of doing, uh, regardless of you know where we think we could stand or anything like that. So it's really important not to get in our heads about that type of stuff. So Essentially, the two options that we gave them, uh, which I promise I will clarify this, uh, the two options that we gave them was the big scary one. You know, if if you feel like you can't sustain things, you feel like it's getting too stressful, obviously behavioral euthanasia has to be discussed and is on the table, just be painting it out there. Essentially, what was happening with the, the management fallout is we believed that the dog was just, it was less about resource guarding and more about this dog's mental health at times just seemed to decline. Uh, the dog was no, not always in the mood for things, and it was really hard for the parents to gauge where their mood was at. And with this, we found that it just appeared that when the dog was in a, in a situation where there's too many people or they're anxious, so they're going to be put in a situation where they're likely to uh, make a bad choice, they just can't be in that space. And there was also a little bit of inconsistent use in terms of the muzzle being worn outside of certain safety areas. So essentially what we did, we gave them an option to basically chunk up their house where the dog was permitted. At any given time, there were um, basically gate systems that were placed, and there were certain criteria that must be met if the dog was going to be going through either one or two of those gates. So essentially kind of like prison. I know that sounds bad. But that's why we nicknamed it Alcatraz um, with, you know, with several gates and whatnot. But this is a dangerous animal that we were working with. And these were parents that were working to save this animal's life. So we were just being blatantly honest with them that this is an option that they could do. However, there could still be fallout in this space, but they decided to go with it. 
because they were not ready to make that big scary choice. Um, and so we did, we actually ended up going with that management, heavy management style in the home. Don't get us wrong, there was plenty of enrichment that was peppered in, plenty of enrichment. Anywhere where the dog was not having, you know, certain spaces or things like that, we did supplement with a ton of enrichment exercises. So I I mean, it's just funny to call it Alcatraz. It's fine. I have some friends who are zookeepers and I always liken it almost to that. So like a friend yes. of mine, I got to tour kind of behind the scenes. She was working in the big cat um, area of a big zoo. And what I was so nerding out about was the management protocols for these animals. Because yes. if a keeper winds up in a space with a lion, it is not good. <laughs> and so the amazing management protocols they had to make sure that the appropriate doors were locked and that keepers did not go into. I mean, everybody's heard horror stories. It has happened where keepers have gone into a space where an animal was not supposed to be and then mm -hmm. things go poorly. So I liken it to that. And of course, those animals are provided as much enrichment as possible. So it, it kind of has to be that way. But then you kind of have to operate like zookeeping stuff. Yeah, basically. And it's funny you mentioned lions because we used to have a metaphor back then was She's like a lion in the house. I'm sorry to say she's like a lion. So we're going to use this room. And just so the listeners are aware, this room was a nice size bedroom guest room. It wasn't like a small closet. It was an entire room dedicated to this dog with a really nice baby gay. And we're going to talk about takeaways from this case in a second. But I will say now that this dog actually seemed relieved to be in there. Oh, yes. It's like mm -hmm. she seemed much more at peace in there versus having access to the whole house which also had a lot of pouches and didn't have to worry about people walking up on her. She seemed to actually progress after having Relax. less space and uh, her own space dedicated to her. That being said, Jill, continue with the um, rest of it. We'll talk about takeaways. Yeah. So uh, again, I'm just kind of painting the picture and we'll go in and with more details in a second. But essentially what happened is we did go with the, again, I'm just nicknaming it Alcatraz to make it short. It was, it was a very nice, luxurious Alcatraz, but Alcatraz, um, they went for this for about two or three years. The dog actually did. I think one thing that was a core thing that we were focusing on was restoring the relationship between the parents and this dog. Obviously, it's really hard to love a dog after they try to bite you or they do bite you. It's the honest truth behind it. Plus, they were scared of the dog, uh, which is also valid. So a lot of that was try to mend the relationship there, but also, you know, give them something realistic to work with. But eventually, after about two, three years, uh, the behavior did seem to backslide after the family did welcome their first child into their home. And that in and of itself itself, you know, when it comes to children, we understand, you know, certain, certain decisions have to be made for the safety of other humans. So uh, we were consulted once again, uh, we had been working a little inconsistently at that point, just because it was uh, dog had actually been doing pretty well. We were consulted a final time, just kind of, they wanted their options painted out for them again. And so we gave it to them straight, you know, okay, here's what you're Here's what you're looking at. Obviously, things are going to change pretty rapidly in the home. Um, and so eventually they did just make the decision to let the dog pass at that point. So yeah, it did, it did end up ending in behavioral euthanasia, but the takeaways. We prolonged the dog's life. Um, I think it's really important to know, um, I, I hope other listeners, whether you're a dog trainer or a dog owner, experiences stuff like this, just know that your version of success or your dog's version of success may not be the same as another household or another family's. And so for this household, the version of success was they were able to lightly reintegrate the dog into their home, keep them for a little bit longer, for as long as they could, honestly. And then they just, you know, let them go. Um, and that was okay. But yeah, that was pretty much, that was pretty much the big, the big thing there. Taylor, do you have a few, few more takeaway points you want to um, add to? Honestly, I'm just going to say that this case, since 
This case really changed. It was a core memory for both of us because it really it helped us grow in a lot of ways. Feel like we were not as savvy as we were when we took this dog on as we are now. And we can really thank our experience now to this case in terms of talking, being confident about talking to our clients about the hard stuff. You know, nobody really wants to talk about behavior euthanasia. And even as a trainer, you know, when I was mentored to be a trainer, I don't really remember us talking about behavior euthanasia. I remember us talking about uh, medicine. You know, my mentor, hey, hey, you know, some dogs need meds. And even back then, I was like, this is like 2017. I was like, well, how do I know which dog needs meds? Like, how am I supposed to make that decision? What is the the call here? That being said, working with a dog like Lymphadora really helped paint a picture on some things that dogs struggle with. And training, we did a really good job. Training is not going to solve everything. And that was a really good, that was a really good case to teach us that lesson. Management will fail and people should not feel bad about that. Even as a trainer, management has failed for me multiple times with my dogs. I talk about that often, but I think that takeaway from this, from this case is that we are really glad to have helped our clients feel more confident about having a dog like this. And we, we were glad that they were confident enough to be transparent with us about their feelings about this dog. Because another thing that happens is some people, they get scared to talk to trainers or anybody about how they really feel. Like, hey, you you know what? I don't blame you for not liking this dog. Or I don't blame you for being afraid of this dog. And we don't blame you for making a decision ultimately. Because yes, this is, if the behavior is backsliding. Another thing too, we, we told them, even though we made good progress, we told them, if you notice anything off, if you feel... Any weird vibes, if you feel like things are backsliding, you have every right to make any decision you want to make, no regardless of what we said. And I think this is a really good case to really help us talk better to clients. Yeah, that's a, that's a lowdown on that one. Okay, so that was Nymphadora. Who who do we have next? This dog's name is Luffy, and this dog is very interesting. So this is y'all. I'm I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying this is a happy ending. I promise you. Okay, happy ending. Luffy actually was a referral from our veterinary behaviorist friend. The veterinary behaviorist believed that this dog needed very clear guidance on in conjunction with the meds. So this dog was already on behavior medication before actually coming to us, which is actually our favorite thing. We love when our clients seek out help from their veterinarians before coming to us because you get to save some money. And you get to see if some things can help fix some behavior. You know, fix is the word I'm going to use loosely here. So this dog had no bite history, but this dog was re- this dog was a reactive dog case. The dog go outside, would bark at dogs, would bark at people. And the really hard thing for this dog is that the environment. So as y'all are aware, we live in New Orleans. New Orleans is a very, very hype city. But this dog lived right in front of the Jazz Fest Festival Grounds, which if you don't know what Jazz Fest is, Jazz Fest is a very, very popular festival that happens once a year in the spring. It's actually coming up soon. And it is a very, very busy, busy area. So the environment was not working for this dog who was reactive. The dog also had a tendency to practice obsessive behaviors, meaning that if you had a tennis ball in that house, he was going to go after the tennis ball nonstop, never get tired get a tennis ball, pop a tennis ball, get a tennis ball, pop a tennis ball, throw it at you, throw it for me. And he would bark at you. And this may seem cute, but this would happen at all times of day, including the night the dog would not sleep if there was too many tennis balls in the house. And again, our client wasn't really sleeping that well. And the ultimate thing, the reason why our client was referred to us is because even though this dog had no bite history, our client was afraid that this dog would hurt someone or hurt something. And our client was also experiencing some pain and uh, I believe in the hip and she was afraid that this dog would overpower her. This dog was huge. I think 
Luffy, he's around 70 pounds, 70, 80 pounds. He's a really big dog. So yes, very, very fair for our clients to be nervous about this dog overpowering. So let's talk about what happened with this case. So first things first, the first thing we started working on was muzzle training. Even though the dog did not have a bite history, we were concerned about an incident that happened. Actually, this happened during Hurricane Ida. So Hurricane Ida happened uh, two years ago. And this dog lunged towards someone, or it was, I think it was outside on the beach, and they were walking okay. outside and lunged at someone at night. And it was it was a lunge to attempt to connect. So we recommended muzzle training. And then we also started to go for head collar training. Head collars are not necessarily our first choice, but we want to make sure that our clients feel safe walking their dogs if they're going to walk their dogs. And since the dog was overpowering our client and our client did have some pain, we wanted to give them the most support, which a head collar, in our opinion, does provide the most support. Uh, Gio, uh, so Gio has a really funny note here. I'm reading off our bullet points. Uh, we want to make sure that we have the safety of our client in mind. Another thing we worked on is a lot of relaxation protocols, which we had varying success with. I remember a place being a little bit hard for this dog. It was really hard for him to settle for certain times. And we had throughout this session, throughout this um, session, throughout this um, time period, we had a lot of progress. And then we had some backslides. And the backslides were the dog was unable to settle outside the crate. He didn't know how to relax. He would pace a lot. And so even though this dog was on, um, had medicinal help already, we told our client to go back to our veterinary behaviors friend to talk about the new things that were happening. So the time period, I swear, 2020, 2021, fuzzy in my brain right now, but it was on and off for a few months we worked with this dog. So again, we have some progress and then we would have no progress. That being said, after talking to the VB, progress was made and he started to improve. And we actually started to be able to have sessions with this dog with our own dog. So we were able to bring our own dogs and this dog, was barely reacted towards them. He did, He actually seemed to really like dogs. So because of this, because we, we saw this, our clients started to set up parallel walks with their friends. And this dog actually made some doggy friends. So we're really, really proud of this case. But very short, very short um, summary. One thing I do want to say about this case is this is the case, in my opinion, we started to use more pattern games to keep it simple. Um, one thing we didn't we didn't really use pattern games that much before I would say 2020. But once we started mm -hmm. really practicing with this dog, we started to realize that some clients need simple, some dogs need simple, and the environment was so hard. So we decided to stop focusing so much on engage, disengage, all over and over again. Another thing that we were realizing that engage, disengage. I'm kind of naming it. Sorry, it's boring, but. It's boring. Yes, it's boring. And we, we would go, okay, we've been doing this for like 20 minutes. I feel like I'm bored. The dog is bored. Let's do something else. So we started to go for more padding games and just teaching the client how to maneuver the dog, how to manage the dog. So, hey, you see a dog coming, walk to the driveway, walk up a driveway, or hide behind a car, or use X, Y, and Z. Really skill forward and pattern games to make things easy. And one of my favorite things about this case was that our client told us at the end was, I feel so much more confident about walking this dog. And we were like, our job is done. That's exactly what we wanted to do. So we were very happy to work with this case. And other takeaways is that patience. So we had a lot of breaks with this client because of the hurricane and things like that. But we really wanted to be patient with this dog, even though we had backslides. But we felt like even though he would have days where he, have, he would be very reactive versus progress, we felt like he could do it. We did not want to incorporate something to make him listen. We wanted to encourage him to listen. And we do feel as if, if our client went to somebody else who was, who was more tool forward, 
they would have put twos on him. And I don't think that would have been the best route for him. And right now, even if his dog does have a reaction, our client knows what to do. And he recovers almost instantaneously. It doesn't even, he doesn't even hold on to it anymore, which is really impressive to see. And that's one thing we did explain to our client. And another thing I like about this case is that we have realized that some environments are going to be hard. You know, like we, we, we can't, there are going to be some environments that are so hard that the dog may have a moment on some days, depending on what's going on. Like I already said, this client lived in from a very busy festival ground. So if they're going outside to go use the bathroom, our client has to, has to be vigilant, but sometimes things happen. What do, what can the client do? All right. He has skill one, skill two, skill three, and our client became very fast at um, using the skills. And I hope all that makes sense. So I love Luffy. Luffy was a really good case. <laughs> yes. Okay. So a few clarifying points. Love it. I love how, I love that they said to you, I, I feel confident walking this dog now. I mean, yeah. that's like, that's like the biggest, mm -hmm. we lost Gio. We'll, we'll yeah, she should be back. Yeah. She'll, she'll pop back in. So you're using a head collar. You're using mm -hmm. a muzzle. Was the mm -hmm. muzzle used when you took the dog out and walked, like, did you use the two things in conjunction? So because his reactivity towards people really wasn't, it, that, that case, the, the moment he had out of state doing the evacuation, I think that was a trigger stacking event. I think there was a lot going on. He's evacuated, he's in a hotel, somewhere he wasn't yeah. usually, usually goes. For his neighborhood, though, in terms of people, he was pretty indifferent about people. Um, surprisingly, he would he would look at them, but he would look away. So we didn't really feel like he really absolutely needed the muzzle to be walked. That right. being said, in terms of now, we still did it at first. That's the first thing we go for for dogs who teeter on the line. But when we started training him, we realized okay, he can actually he can be without a muzzle for a training session, or be without a muzzle when he is walking. All we have to do is arc around people, and he was good. But we did use the muzzle whenever we introduced him to our dogs, just to be safe, because we weren't sure. sure about his feelings towards dogs until we actually had dogs get close to him. Yeah. And so would you say in this, in your reactivity work in general, you kind of mentioned a few things. You mentioned mm -hmm. engaged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that. So that's kind of notice a trigger, disengage the trigger, engage mm -hmm. back with the person. And mm -hmm. then you also mentioned some pattern games. So that would be a la control unleashed pattern yes. games. Yes. yes. And yes. so maybe like the one, two, three game, like take yes. three steps and feed. I love that mm -hmm. one for reactive dogs. It's kind of like mm -hmm. just reinforcing staying with the person. When you work with these reactive dogs in general, do you feel like you hit them from like all corners as far as all of those different things? Or do you kind of teach the person a core set of skills and then kind of feel out what the dog's going to respond to? The latter. So the first thing yeah. we do is teach them a few core foundational skills that we feel can be helpful for reactive dogs. So for example, boosting engagements, that means reinforcing offer eye contact, trying to get a really good leave it. We, I know cues are not gonna always work when a dog is reactive, but that we can call the dog away when a, when a trigger is very far, we wanna reinforce that. So good leave it, getting the dog to walk a little bit better because I don't want the dog pulling our client down the street. So working on Lucy's walking. And then after we have so, a few core skills, that's when we started to do some more things. And the first new thing was engage disengage to kind of help with the reactivity but this at this point when we started doing engage engage with this dog we realized that it was it wasn't enough it wasn't enough and it, it would get boring and we felt like it wasn't really doing anything after a certain time like the dog was okay I'm looking at it it's getting closer <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I don't I don't I don't like what I'm looking at so around this time we started um, adding more which was a pattern game so particularly it was a one two three pattern game and the up down game 
We okay. also taught this dog U-turns and defensive handling. I also was inspired by um, Dr. Amy Cook management, the hand magnet um, skill. I'm actually in her course right now. But the hand magnet skill, getting our clients to put treats to this dog's nose and walk away. So to answer your question, to summarize it, first things first is our core foundational skills, whatever we deem those to be important. After that was the common conditioning was engaged, disengaged. But around this time, our training started to kind of evolve. We realized that wasn't really enough for our reactive dogs anymore, especially if they were living in very, very tough urban, a very tough urban area. And that's when we started to study more about pattern games. So we started giving this dog all of, okay, here's pattern games, here's management, let's try it all, see what sticks. And what stuck for this client was U-turns, one, two, three pattern game, up, down pattern game, and a little bit of leash pressure. So we did teach the client, hey, a little bit of leash pressure to get him to move a little bit faster to help them go around. I hope that made sense. Another thing that happened to our client that made her so concerned was that this dog has been charged by a little dog more than once in the neighborhood. And our client was worried that her dog would maim or seriously injure or kill the small dog. And this dog actually was a, fr- this Luffy was afraid of the small dog whenever they charged yeah. him. So he would run away. He, 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 he did not try to aggress back, but we know if it happens enough times, he will aggress back. So helping our client move out of situations and how to station the dog if something is going on, that, that became our focus towards the end. And I feel like our success and progress went up way faster when we started just focusing on, okay, how to move the dog? What's to do when something happens? Here's what you do. Here's what we don't do. And yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Are we ready to dive into case number three? Legolas. Case number three is my favorite. Legolas. Legolas is a play on the name because this is an OG smart bitch with a twist. Guy is missing a leg. Hence the name Legolas. Um, so yeah, so this was a regular daycare dog. He was needed for a lot of timeouts, known for needing a lot of timeouts. This dog also did all of our group classes at the time that were offered. And he was part, he was one of our, our private training clients as well. So while he was at daycare, we would also train this dog. But that environment though, LOL. Any other trainers who know, that's not really an optimal environment for any dog. <laughs> but uh, anyways, but during his transition um, into, or during our transition into Smart Bitch, so we were leaving the company and starting our own, um, this particular dog's aggression actually spike during this transition it's almost like um they needed us but uh it's <laughs> his aggression spiked and uh, unfortunately a family member had actually tried or had suggested to our clients uh to try a different method of training uh just to you know we get it they tried a different angle so one year later that's a horrible french accent so anybody who watches uh SpongeBob, you just channel that one year later. So one year later, uh, the client reported that they had been uh, working with another trainer for the past year. And and this trainer's closing note for them was uh, that this dog could never be around children, which is a pretty pretty bold statement. Uh, It's a scary statement to tell people. Um, And the reason they said this was because this particular family had expressed an interest in starting a family. But just know that this particular dog had never actually specifically had any history of aggression towards children. So children. So basically this was just based off the fact that the aggression had just gotten worse um, in their hands, but not specifically towards kids. And then, so what ended up happening was this dog had underwent our understanding of the situation and what was shared with us, that this dog underwent a two week board and train program, uh, which was definitely 
very heavy on the use of the prong collar, unfortunately. Um, and then after the two weeks, the training absolutely did not stick. So then the trainer sold them some weird, um, like continuous monthly thing to like try to get the dog's behavior to improve with, I guess, the same techniques, same methods. This also didn't stick. And also apparently the muzzle was not included in these training plans at all, which also was kind of odd to us considering how, um, what we were shared uh, eventually, and I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. And then, of course, uh, we were actually immediately contacted um, after this, you know, that statement was made by the former trainer uh, because mama was having no uh, none of it. So so uh, they called us back. Uh, we come in to assess the situation. And upon seeing the situation, we, of course, wanted to see what was what was done. Uh, we obviously didn't, uh, we were not a fan of certain tools or seeing them being used, but as a professional for the assessments, we kind of need to see where we're standing. And unfortunately, upon our assessment, it appeared that the dog had been become very aggressive surrounding their crate, uh, which was kind of interesting and dangerous because this dog definitely absolutely needed to be managed. And they were having issues with just using their, the form of management that they had. Uh, but also there was a new, uh, a newly found very serious uh, redirected aggression thing that was happening whenever there were intense prong collar pops, it's kind of understood, you know, that hurts, they turn around, and try to bite you. So that was pretty severe. And we only had to see like two, like literally a split second of that. And we're like, okay, we know where we stand. And we had also been reported and we had actually seen photographs that this dog also throughout the year had been completing level four bite uh, bad. Um, they were there. It was very highly concerning. And also let me just circle back and remind everyone that this is a dog who has three legs, three legged dog. This is a lab. It's approximately is it like 60 pounds. 60 pounds. We're going to go with 60 pounds. So big ish guy, uh, but also not completely, you know, mobile. And also the leg that he's missing is one of the front ones, not the back one. So his mobility was like severely hindered. So there's a lot of concern there. Well, as we dug deeper, we consulted, we jumped back in one of our major concerns, how severe some of the reactions that most recently had been um, and how irregular the dog's behavior had become. For instance, he, this dog would be like lying down. And if somebody would lightly approach, not even approaching, just like maybe five feet walking slightly in their direction, he would get up and lunge and there was a connected bite at one point. And so Taylor and I suspected that this was a medical thing. Um, everything pointed towards the dog's irregular behavior was, I mean, don't get us wrong. He had previously gone through training that, you know, we had not seen firsthand. We didn't know how often corrections were happening. So we don't really know, but medically speaking, and obviously we had had a little bit of history with this dog. So we knew this dog a little bit. It was very irregular how quickly things were happening and how you know abrupt they were. So we sent them to the vet and then turned out that this dog actually, actually had two ingrown hairs behind its eye ball. It was in the eye socket. This is a thing that happens apparently, I didn't know. So this dog was under severe pain. In fact, the veterinarian who was a specialist, they were referred to a specialist and the specialist had told them that they were actually very surprised that the dog was letting them handle him at all because he must have been under excruciating pain, which then of course was like, okay, these most recent bites absolutely make sense considering he probably felt like shit, you know, <laughs> putting it blatantly yeah. there. And so after that was fixed, we definitely saw, you know, we obviously had pointed them towards a veterinary behaviorist as well. Uh, they had already been in, you know, talking to vets regarding medication and all that, but we definitely pushed them a little further and eventually got this dog on some meds that definitely were helping him out. His anxiety was absolutely through the roof. And, you know, the aggressive behaviors were just, you know, they just kind of 
got a little out of hand. So in terms of training plan moving forward, actually the very first thing that we did, which I shouldn't laugh, but I will because I'm me. The very first thing that we did actually, one of our assessments was regarding the crate issue because management, we also had used the analogy lying in the room, right? The situation was very similar to a former situation and we had had success with that analogy. So we had used the analogy lying in the room. Uh, we're going to make a very, a pretty serious management plan in the house uh, to make sure that you know, no more of these unpredictable bikes or anything like this can happen again. There will be certain rules or things that need to be followed if he's outside of the safety zone, so on and so forth. But one of the safety zones that needed to be fixed was the crate. And upon seeing the crate that was in use, we found that the crate that was in use, in our opinion, was the wrong one. Why they would have had such trouble with this, not their fault at all, not by any means, never the client's fault. Uh, but this was a airline carrier that was very enclosed and it was a little too short for the dog. And so we immediately had suggested, let's change this out to a wire crate, something a little bigger, more spacious. It's also a three-legged dog. So mobility was a little compromised to give him a little more space. So he didn't just like slam his head into a wall. And then we were able to crate train him in 10 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> the crate wasn't actually that big of an issue. It was just, you know, a little bit of uh, fixing a little things there, but uh, yeah, we actually went in, there was a lot of, you know, muzzle be being put back on. There was absolutely a lot of working back up confidence, confidence building with the parents, uh, fixing the relationship with the dog. Um, and then of course there were a ton of conversations uh, when they felt like it was time to approach it. They of course asked the question again, you know, do we think that this dog can be around children and under our extensive working with this dog worked with with him for several months it's been a few years now actually again still had never seen any type of aggressive event that would you know it has ever seemed like it was angled towards children and so uh, we obviously gave them their special parameters but we did not see any need to outright say that hey you got to get rid of the dog before you bring a baby in the house that being said of course we told them they're always welcome to make any decision they feel is safest but we did believe that this was possible and they also wanted it to be possible so uh the good news is in the short version is that they now welcome their first uh baby boy into the household and we have had absolutely zero events for what two three years yeah um yeah so it's been beautiful uh dog loves the baby obviously there are special he's not supposed to be face-to-face -face or anything like that but we haven't had any any things like that so I love this case because what a great what a great example of like when dogs are engaging in really extreme behaviors that's never coming from just like who they are and just mm -hmm. like you know everything is their history and what's going on in their body, like all working together. Mm -hmm. And so, so frequently these dogs that have these kind of bigger than expected aggressive kind of outbursts are in some kind of pain somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not, ab not abnormally either for, um, I, you didn't mention why the dog is three-legged, but if he's an amputee, you know, not, not unusual for, that to also there there to be some other orthopedic pain like compensatory mm -hmm. pain yes like that yes so just so so important for us always when we look at one of these cases to look at every single angle and not yeah. just well this dog's an asshole and can't be around kids which it kind of sounds yeah. like they heard <laughs> yeah yeah basically that's essentially and I love that you mentioned the physiological factor I didn't really go in on that um it's our understanding upon adoption he was already missing his leg I think 
there may or may not have been an event with a car. I don't really think they know either. Uh, that being said, um, I think most of his life he's always been missing it, but it has actually always been a concern of ours. And it's probably a concern that we voice more often than they would, than they think of, but I guess it's something, it's, it's valid. It's definitely valid, but our concern with his, my ner- his my nerves mobility, my nerves you know, okay. <laughs> um, he is a larger dog and unfortunately missing one of his front legs. Uh, in our mm-hmm. opinion, it does appear to be harder on the body. Um, his training time is, is. Yeah. I would say his training time cuts off about 40 minutes and that's really pushing it. So we have already included like future training plans. He's already wearing special equipment so they can grab him and, and assist when needed. Uh, but at this point, everything has been tailored to making sure that Legolas isn't in pain first, because that was very clear. Mm-hmm not the angle that was taken the first time, which again is not their fault, but we have no idea how long this particular dog was experiencing the pain that he was experiencing. And then simultaneously was undergoing training, which is less than kind. And, and obviously had some pretty averse side effects in the long run, not to mention some of financial side effects, which I know that they were not fond of either. So, so it was really nice to be able to basically shine the light back on what was important was making sure the well-being of the dog was there, working on the behavior um, and then make sure the house household is nice and safe but overall this particular client is very happy and I think that I think they more than likely would saw off their leg than let us go at this point but (laughs) for example um one of their protocols that we put in that they still use to this day um to our knowledge is if people come in the dog is muzzled the dog goes to the front room goes to the crate he's given a puzzle toy immediately chills out Muzzle comes off he gets to be around people for a little bit and that's this this protocol has been working for them for years and like okay keep using it it seems to actually taper off some of that energy when people do come in and it seems like this dog has been able to meet many people uh, without any incidents since then so we're really proud of that case and it seems like I think sometimes people look at you know if they're a professional trainer and they're presented with a case like this they, you know, I'm not going to speak for the, the dog's other trainer who's not here right now to speak for themselves. But essentially, I think a lot of times the focus is fix this for these people, like make this stop and make it stop yeah. now, rather than, you know, which I completely understand where they're coming from. Like the make it stop now mindset is your clients come to you with the problem. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're being paid to fix the problem. We are being paid to fix the problem. The other angle that I wish was considered more is it's not only not a failure to put protocols like create with a puzzle toy in place. It's, it's also like what actual good training looks like. It's not Mm -hmm. just like, I think people think management solutions are not as sexy as like true behavior change kind of things, but mm-hmm. it is true behavior change. If the dog yeah. can go in the crate, eat the puzzle toy, and then come out and be amongst the visitors, you did change the behavior. It is exactly. it is better now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, I think one major component that we have to remind our clients, especially because we live in such an excessively social city, is that you know, the way things people said stuff in the past meant something. Now, it doesn't mean the training was was right, okay? But let sleeping dogs lie came from somewhere, right? Or they might bite you. That's the finish line of that story. Um, letting, you know, leaving things alone and, and also just recognizing that they are animals. We love them, uh, but it is not fair to assume that a three-legged dog who is already not the most sociable um, is just going to love 
having people in and out of the house or wanting to be hovered over when they're in their comfort spaces or, you know, it, it, a lot of times, you know, the dog was acting in a way that he shouldn't have, but at the same time, a lot of the times it was boundaries that were being crossed. And I think it's really important to teach our clients and to bring back into light that, these boundaries exist because one, they are dogs and we are humans. And I think there does need to be a very clear distinction of those two things, but it also doesn't mean that you're just going to have the worst relationship ever. Like if you have to treat your dog, you have to manage them a certain way, but you see your friend with their little shih tzu and they get to do whatever they want. That's okay. It's okay. Sometimes circumstances are different. Um, it doesn't mean that it's always better. And it doesn't mean that your dog is bad. It just means that Sometimes you have to utilize different management protocols. And at the end of the day, it's a dog. <laughs> I do understand people wanting easier, of course. Um, these are projects and projects are a lot. I have my own project. Geo does as well. Oh, yeah. And, but we definitely tell people, you know, I know we got I know it's what we all want it. Here's a dog in front of us. Here's a spoke. I know there's some bad. Let's also focus on the good. So we know because there are there is good. I know you love X, Y and Z. Let's focus on that and let's do let's do management and training so we can focus on the good and have the good be highlighted as often as possible. It is hard, though. I won't lie. It is hard. <laughs> well, it sounds like you did a fantastic job, honestly, on all three of these cases. We've got happy people. We've got, you know, in the in the case of the first case, maybe not like a happy, but that happens. And having good yeah. guidance when those Actually, things happen is so important. Yes, yeah, actually, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Sarah. I'm so sorry. No, I have please. to interject. There was um, closure. Our client, there was closure. And our client yeah, actually- Yeah, like um, happy is not the right word, but they're yeah. okay. Like, yeah. Our client yeah. told us, you know, thank you so much for all y'all have done over the past few years. Like, I was like, wow, you're telling me thank you. Even though, you know, the case ended in euthanasia, thank you for being there for us and advising us and being transparent. And I'm like, thank you for telling us. Thank you. <laughs> I feel honored that we were able to help your case. It's difficult. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And it's, they needed guidance in that scenario. And it sounds like it went as well as it could have. Yep. Yes. Dog did live some really good years with them, which its litter mates did not, by the That's way. That's true. And mm -hmm. so, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, behavioral euthanasia like requires its own hour and a half discussion um, with experts mm -hmm. or not me, but basically, you know, you, what impresses me consistently with both of you is showing up for your client and your coaching ability and just constantly being in there and communicating with them and never placing blame on them and never complaining about them like there's no there's no my clients don't come don't comply with blotty block coming from the smart hell no no okay hell none no. of that ever because no. you know that it's your job to show up and to put in the appropriate communication systems and we talked about this when I had you on to talk about business because mm -hmm. that's what you, you guys do that really really nicely and that's why these cases went the way that they went because when you let communication fall off it doesn't go like this yeah. If the class is failing, look at the teacher. College professors, like, come on, like, yeah. If yeah. the entire class yep. is failing, that's on yeah. somebody. Yes. And yep. we, we try to do our best to, I think, I, honestly, like I said, because of these cases, we've gotten better at communicating. And of course, we've changed our, our services a few, a 
a bit over the few years to help make communication easier and also selecting ideal clients as well. Um, even though not all these cases were happy and these, these, these clients were, are ideal clients too. Like they are, they are clients who were in it for the long run. If needed be, they understood that things took time. It's really hard to try to convince people who don't really want to be convinced. You know, that's not really the clients that we end up working. We end up working with people who mesh really well with us and our expectations and the true expectations of training and management, how long it takes. And I think that's also the reason why we are really successful with the cases that we do take on. I had another thought, and I hope you don't mind me saying this. When we were 2019, 2018, when we were younger trainers, we were back, we were very by ourselves. We didn't really have the network of trainers that we have now, which I really, I do wish that we had a network because I feel like, you know, we talk about, oh, if a, if a case is too much, you should probably refer it, refer it out. And some people could argue that Nipador, that first case may have been too much for a smart bitch to handle at that, at that point in time. To be honest with y'all, the details of that case did not come out all at first. It came out over time. As like, we went. It's worse than what we thought. Okay. And, yeah. you know, when you don't have that network of people, and honestly, there aren't that many behavior consultants with that certification. They were not really that well known a couple of years ago. We didn't know them. So, who are we going to refer them to? If we're talking about New Orleans, very limited. And that's what our clients are looking for. So, I know it's scary, and I'm not recommending that trainers take on things they can't handle. But at the same time, this helped us grow <laughs> if we ran away from this case and we did do everything correct. We had to get our, we had to give ourselves confidence. And I think this case gave us confidence. <laughs> yeah, we do have each other. And I think for any trainer who is interested in taking on cases like this, because they are dangerous, they're dangerous, they're scary, they can play on your heartstrings and stay on your mind. So just know that it's got to be something that you think about a lot. But if you're interested in taking that jump or you're, uh, but you don't really know where to start, start small and start honest. Be completely and totally overly honest. If you have a fear or suspicion that something could go worse than what you are saying, then say it because aggression cases are dangerous and these are teeth and these are animals. And we're talking about humans or average owners who do not have a modicum of the knowledge that we have or they don't see what we see. They don't prepare for what we prepare for. So possible, and like Taylor said, I don't think you should take on anything you're not comfortable with, but if you are interested in trying it, that's our number one thing is be blatantly honest, even if it's scary, even if it means having a conversation that sucks. If you don't know how to have that conversation, talk to someone who's had it before and they probably mm -hmm. can help you. But I do think it's really important to note that if you're going to be taking on aggression cases, you more than likely need to get comfortable with having the BE conversation, because honestly, those things do end up going hand in hand. If you're not comfortable having that conversation, maybe take on easier cases. It's that simple. And <laughs> rehoming is not always going to be an option for these aggression cases. I, I know I'm kind of going off topic a little bit, but this is Louisiana. Our shelters are full. Rehoming is not easy. So rehoming yeah. is not going to be an option all the time. So BE is going to be talked about sometimes sooner rather than later. Yeah. And sometimes it's not, even if it is an option. Like yeah, yeah. Seattle, like in Seattle where they're shipping dogs in from the South, mm -hmm. but in the shelters, that doesn't mean it's ethical. Like mm -hmm. outsourcing the, the euthanasia to somebody else is mm -hmm. a huge problem. But it yeah, sounds to me like you rose to the occasion of the court of the case. We try. We try our hardest. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you took it on. I think that's the takeaway is 
if you feel like, wow, this is, this case is tough. Like I look at cases and go, wow, this is tough. But now to me, it's kind of like fun. Cause I'm like, yeah, ooh, this is this is a good one. And you you can only get there by taking on hard things. And it's not mm-hmm. take stuff that you can't deal with. It's take stuff that you feel ready to try to deal with. Yes. Yep. Like that's you're ready that's to do a lot thing. of learning. Yeah, and stay honest and keep learning through the process mm-hmm. for sure. Well, I cannot believe that we got through three cases in an hour. You are both um, amazing. Those paraphrasing skills, though. Fast talkers over here. (laughs) Thank you so, so much. Can you share where folks can find more about you? Okay, so Smart Bitch is everywhere. You can find us on Facebook, Smart Bitch Modern Dog Training, TikTok, Smart B Dog Training, and Instagram, Smart Bitch Dog Training. There may be some changes. We may change the bitch to B. Uh, Google is being a hater right now, so we're trying to be careful with bitch. All of a sudden, after like four years, oh, bitch is is too spicy. It's a bad word. Smart B, Smart Bitch, we're everywhere. Um, you You can find us, and we try to update content at least daily, so you can see more from us. And we are accepting new clients. We do virtual and we do in-person training. And we are based in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank you. Thank you both Ta-da! so, so much. Have no of course. Thanks for having us. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.